So this is Lesson 1B, Days 3 through 5 of the Joseph Study. You don't get to choose your family. I'm going to do just a little bit of... Okay, if I unplug everything, dear Lord Jesus, I'm really sorry. And thank you for technical people who are here to fix it if I screw it up. Okay, looky there. Now I can reach. <laughs> That's important. All right, so y'all are all wishing I'd give you those first questions on the quiz again, aren't you now? Because now you have studied his great-grandparents, right? Check. You have studied his, his great-grandparents and his grandparents. Check. You have studied his parents this week. Check. So see there, you're, look how smart you are. Now hopefully you have learned more than just their names, right? There's so much more than just their names. This week on page 18, there was a sentence. You don't have to turn in your book. I'll read it to you. But it's on page 18 on the bottom left-hand side of the page. There was a sentence that just grabbed me, and I got stuck there. And if I get stuck there, then sorry. That means you're going to be stuck there for the rest of the morning. And the sentence was, still is, it's still in your book. Life wasn't going according to their plans, and so they did exactly what their ancestors had done. They began to scheme, control, and manipulate circumstances and people to accomplish their desires. And I started thinking, Abraham and Sarah, even it was God's plan that they were to have a child, right? That was God's plan. And yet Sarah stepped in and helped, right? And then Isaac and Rebekah. It was God's plan that Jacob would be over Esau. He told her that while they were still in, in the womb. But what happened? Rebecca helps. Jacob and Rachel, infertility. What happens? Rachel helps. Other scheming, controlling, manipulating. In this week's lesson, Jacob, what does he do? He takes the birthright from Esau for a meal, right? Takes advantage there. Jacob deceives Isaac for Esau's blessing. Laban. Laban starts the scheming too to get the older daughter Leah married first, right? Leah and Rachel both plot to get what the other one has. Leah tries to manipulate Jacob's affection through birthing children for him. Leah and Rachel both give their handmaids to Jacob. It becomes a competition, right? Laban, controlling Jacob's labor, has him work 14 years instead of the original seven. Laban schemes by removing the speckled and the, the spotted and the dark sheep. Do you remember that part of the story? Jacob, he manipulates in the lineup whenever they're going to see Esau. The way he lines everybody up, that's scheming, manipulating, planning, controlling. And I could do a dot, dot, dot and come forward right here today because there is nothing new under the sun. So that sentence, again, it grabbed me in our workbook. And I had to ask myself the question that's on the top of your handout. I added the parentheses because I think that's important too. What would it take for me to stop all my scheming, controlling, and manipulating of circumstances and people to accomplish my desires, even if my desires are actually God's plans? Because we've already seen that in Genesis, right? With Joseph's ancestors. A lot of times the scheming and manipulating and plotting and planning of man or woman was to help God accomplish his purposes. Think how ludicrous that is. Just stop. If you're daydreaming, 
Think how crazy that sentence is. Like he needs me, right? And worse to think he needs my sin to accomplish his plan. Worse. Okay, we need to pray, and then we'll get going so I don't preach too badly at you. I practiced this on the way to, we had to go to St. Louis to see my daughter for parents weekend, and I needed to time it. I had it all written before I left, but I said, I got to time this. And Ken goes, are you going to talk out loud? I said, I don't have to. He goes, no, it's fine. Talk out loud. So I talked this whole thing through out loud, and Ken's raising his hand at the wheel to answer the questions. I'm like, would you stop it? You're messing up my timing. But when I finish, he goes, do you talk to them? And I, at first, I didn't know where he was going with that. And I, I'm like, well, yeah. And he said, no, I think that's good. I think that's real. <laughs> well, that was kind of funny. Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your presence here among us. Thank you for the perfect way you love each one of us. And you put up with all our plotting and scheming and controlling and manipulating. But that truly is not your desire for us. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We're depending on your spirit to be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. So, we're going to answer that question. What would it take for me to give all of that up? So first, I must believe. Now this, I hope, sounds familiar to you, okay? So this is going back two lectures ago to our introduction. This really is part of the answer. For me to give all of that up, I must believe God is with me. I must believe God is working, and I must believe God is trustworthy, which then leads me to, I can trust God. God is working. God is trustworthy. I can trust God. If you missed that lecture, it is online now. You can listen. Um, At the least, you can get an extra handout from Tammy. has some extra handouts. And you can look up the scriptures that back up those thoughts. That I didn't just make those up. Those come from the truth that's in God's word. So you can go back over that if you'd like to do that. There's a second thing I must understand. I must understand the truth about God's plans. Now notice this doesn't say I must understand God's plans. Right? We've talked about that in that very first week. That so many times I won't understand God's plans. Because newsflash, I'm not God. He is, right? So we talked about that. But there are some truths about his plans that I really need to understand. If I'm going to quit all my scheming, planning, and manipulating, and controlling, I need to understand the truth about God's plans. I need to stop here. Am I the only one? Like, Am I just like up here? I could be saying all this to myself. Or is there anyone out here who has this issue sometimes of stepping in to help God with the planning, the scheming, controlling? Okay. You're just laughing at your neighbor. One person right here. Thank you so much for coming today. I'm just going to talk to you, you and me, and maybe we'll learn about this. I don't know. It's a struggle for me. I think because I am a planner. And some people are more prone to plan than others. So especially like when I hear God's plan, I'm like, yeah, we're on this, man. And, and then if I'm not careful, I, I start doing all this stuff. So, so if this isn't your issue, maybe you can help a friend someday. All right. So the truth about God's plans. The first one is God's plans are for the whole earth. You know, he's God. Sometimes we just kind of scrunch him in. And he's, he's God. Look at Isaiah 14. All of these scriptures are on your handout, the reference. So I have a plan for the whole earth 
a hand of judgment upon all the nations the Lord of heaven's armies has spoken. Who can change his plans? When his hand is raised, who can stop him? I must understand God's plans are for me. So they're for the whole earth, but they're also for me. No, I'm not going to do that Jeremiah verse. I know the no, I'm not doing that. By the way, the precursor to that, they're in a horrible situation when that is said. So if you're if you got that placable up, at least read the verses before to understand the depth of the promise, okay? Psalm 138. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. I'll tell you, this verse was really special in my life. Since I've got extra minutes, I'm going to sneak some stories in. Um, this is the verse God gave me whenever I really felt called to leave my full-time job. And this verse is what I hung on to, this one and one other one. All right. I must also understand the truth about God's plans. God's plans will happen. They will happen. Isaiah 46. And do not forget the things I have done throughout history. For I am God. I alone. I am God. And there is no one else like me. Only I can tell you what is going to happen even before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. If you learn nothing else this morning, know that God's plans will happen. Isn't that a verse you can just go to sleep on? It's like, yes, Lord. I am God. I do whatever I wish. All right, not on the PowerPoint, but on your handout is Jeremiah 1, 11, and 12. And at the end of that, it's God talking again, and he says, I will certainly carry out all my plans. Okay, I must understand that God's plans are not stopped by man. Job, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. Psalm 33, but the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. I must understand God's plans are carried out by angels. Think about that. You know, when you're tempted to step on in there and do something to help God, especially when it involves any kind of sin, you really need to step back and realize the truth that God's plans are carried out by angels. All right, Psalms 103. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. By the way, I love having extra time because things come in my mind the whole time I'm talking that aren't written down. This is what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? That his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know how it's done in heaven? Here's a glimpse. You mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. So can you see it? The angels are like, just wait. God, you know, they're, wait, they're listening for it. Okay, I'm on it. That's what's happening in heaven. That's what we're praying when we say, your will be done in, in earth as it is in heaven. That I would listen and then obey. Okay, all right. So we're not going to have extra time after all. All right. Um, I, just a note here. God can also employ non-Christians to carry out his plans. Consider Pharaoh. That story's you know, right here coming up in Exodus. God says he uses Pharaoh to demonstrate his glory. Shoot, God used the Egyptians to fund the Israelites' escape. In Proverbs, it talks about God can change the, 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 the direction of the king's heart. God can use animals. So he can use whomever and whatever he wants to accomplish his plans. And he can use us too. 
And I'm just prime and ready when I'm with him, attentive to him, listening to him, following him, in obedience to everything he's already told me. So I can jump in on this, on God's plans, right? Okay, all right. So that's the truth about God's plans. Now, just so we don't have any weird stuff happening in our heads, man's plans and God's plans are like, woo, like, like really different, okay? So here's some scoop on man's plans. Proverbs 16, we can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Proverbs 19, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purposes will prevail. So I have a choice, God's plan, man's plan. I, I am going with God's plan. It is always best. And if I did have time, I would tell you my lifelong lesson on God's plans are always better, but I know I don't have time for that, so we won't. But I can tell you, with my life, God's plans are always, and this is coming from a planner. I had a plan, and it was a good one. And God had the best plan. And I'm so thankful his plans prevail. All right, big difference. So even when I don't understand the specifics about God's plans, how he works, when he works, why he's doing what he's doing, I don't have to understand the specifics of his plans, but I can rely on the truth about God's plans that I learned from his word, okay? All right, and dear sister, there is a promise for us for the plans, the personal plans. Look at Philippians 1. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And this is why I must wait on God. There's a distinction here in, on your handout in the words. I must wait on God. For me to stop all my scheming, controlling, and manipulating of circumstances and people to accomplish my desires, even if my desires are actually God's plans, the first two are must. But this third one is actually a will. You see, this one is not an option. I will wait on God. I can't rush him up. I can't slow him down. I can't mess up his plan. His plans will still prevail. Remember what we know about God's plans? I'm not that big. I'm not so big that I can mess up God's plans. Think about that. It should actually give us some peace. All right. So waiting on God is not an option. I will not rush him. The question is not if I will or will not wait. The question is how will I wait? And what will I do while I'm waiting? We talked about the importance of leaning into the truth of who we know God is. So some of our options here, when we're in a time of waiting, is we can lose faith. Have you known some people who have lost faith during a time of waiting? I, I do. We can take things into our own hands. What's the tendency that we've seen in Joseph's ancestors so far? They're all like nodding their heads. You people that are listening, they're all like nodding their hands like that's the answer. It wasn't even a yes or no question. <laughs> what is the tendency of, of his family so far? 
Yeah, they're just helping God, aren't they? Oh, God's so thankful for those people. <laughs> just helping Him. So the application questions are there on your handout for all of us. Again, I write them for me, so you have to hear them too. When is the time that I waited on the Lord, and what were the circumstances? How did I do? What did I do? What did God do? Am I currently waiting on God regarding a circumstances or, and or a relationship? How am I doing? The rest of our time, we're going to camp out right here on waiting on God, asking some questions, and then looking to his word to answer those questions. So I want us to look at three questions. Why should I wait on God? How do I wait on God? And what do I do while I'm waiting? We don't want to skip the obvious answer to number one. Why should I wait on God? Because God said so. Okay, he does say that in the word to wait on him. That should be enough for every one of us. But just one other thought on why should I wait on God. I should wait on God because God's timing is absolutely perfect every time. Every time. So just one story, John, from the Gospel of John. Jesus had really... um, had three close friends, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus is very ill. And the sisters send word to Jesus, your friend Lazarus is is ill. And Jesus is with his other disciples. And Jesus delays going. And the disciples are kind of perplexed by this because they know how much Jesus loves Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And they, they can't figure out why we're not rushing off to Lazarus's sickbed. And Jesus tells them why in John 11. But when Jesus heard about it, Lazarus being sick, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God. I, the Son of God, will receive glory from this. Then later on down in verses 14, he says, Then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I wasn't there because this will give you another opportunity to believe in me. Come, let's go see him. Can you imagine the disciples? Again, we have the whole story here. They're going, well, he's dead. Now we're going to go see a dead body. I mean, can you imagine these disciples are like, whoa, earlier you told us his sickness wasn't going to end in death. And now you just told us he's dead. And now we're going to go off and rush now to see a dead man. Yeah, that's exactly what they're going to do. So notice before we leave this, there's three reasons that Jesus gives right here. For the timing of his delay, his seemingly delay. Verse 4, it is for the glory of God. I, the Son of God, will receive glory, and this will give you another opportunity opportunity to believe in me. So what happens? He does go. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for four days, in the grave, for four days when he shows up. Both of the sisters, Mary and Martha, both say the same words to Jesus. They both say, quote, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's a beautiful exchange between Jesus and the sisters. And this is actually when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So he's teaching them about himself through this, by the way. Then he goes on to the tomb and calls Lazarus back to life. And at the end of that, John eleven forty five, it says, Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Timing was perfect. Timing was absolutely perfect. All right. There are a lot of scriptures on your handout here. And I have put them up here on the... Um, PowerPoint slides. And what I want us to do is just look at the parts that relate to God and his timing. And I've highlighted those, put them in bold um, so we can see them quickly. 
Psalm 75, 2. God, at the time I have planned. Psalm 105. Until the time came, the Lord. Isaiah, the Lord at just the right time. Isaiah, the Lord at the right time. Romans. Now we're going to flip to the New Testament. Christ, at just the right time. Galatians, when the right time came, God. 1 Timothy, God at the proper time. 1 Peter, God in his good time. 2 Peter, the Lord isn't really being slow. He's giving more time. God's timing is perfect. All right, there are examples, lessons for us, of those who initially chose to not wait on the Lord. And we can learn from those, right? We don't have to, um, you know, experience every wrong and every sin and every bad choice ourselves, right? We can learn without having to do it. Um, so Abram and Sarai and Hagar, right? We studied that. The pro- God gives them the promise in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15. Sarah schemes and manipulates, thinking she's in control and going to help God here. And I want us just to take just one little minute to look back at exactly what she says. And then you see if this does not sound like crazy. Okay? Genesis 16. But Sarai, Abram's wife, had no children. So Sarah took her servant, an Egyptian woman named Hagar, and gave her to Abram so she could bear his children. The Lord has kept me from having any children, Sarah said to Abram. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed. God had already told them they were going to have children. And now she's going, the Lord has kept me from having any children. Here, take her. Y'all go have sex. Now this is crazy. Right? She didn't wait on God. And what did she do? I'm sure that strengthened their marriage. I'm sure that was exactly what God wanted for Abraham and Sarah. Right? Now we know the rest of the story. Again, we've got it all for us. Ishmael was born. Thirteen years after that, Isaac was born with Abraham and Sarah as his mom and dad. Ishmael fathered 12 sons who became leaders of warrior tribes, by the way. On your handout is 1 Samuel 13. That's the story of Saul and Samuel. When Saul decided he wouldn't wait like uh, he was supposed to to offer the sacrifice, and he went ahead and offered the sacrifice. Wow, you talk about a consequence. It was severe. For him not waiting, this is what happened. 1 Samuel, and I didn't put that up here, but we're going to do it here because we got time. Um, How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have disobeyed the command of the Lord your God. Had you obeyed, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your dynasty must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already chosen him to be king over his people. For you have not obeyed the Lord's command. Wow, that's pretty severe for not waiting on God. Psalm 106, you can read that later. That's talking about the whole uh, people of Israel and how they didn't wait on God. So what now what on your handout? Is there an example from my own life where I initially chose to not wait on the Lord? What happened? What did I learn and how did God work? Well, there are rewards for those who choose to wait on the Lord. And I just chose one, Joseph, the gentleman we're studying, Genesis 50. He's talking to his brothers here. After his dad's passed away. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Wow, that's quite a reward. He saved a bunch of lives. 
you know, there's an interesting question that I came um, upon as I was studying this myself, and I, I don't have the answer, um, so I will throw it out there and leave it for you and God and His Spirit. I, I, I wondered, was Joseph, was everything that happened with Joseph God's plan, or was it God working together for good? Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen to this scripture. Psalm 105 says, he, called, he is God. So God called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then God sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. So I don't know. I don't have to know. I'm not God. Um, but kind of interesting to think about, um, to ponder. So we won't always understand God's plans. But we can know the truth about God, and we can know the truth about God's plans. All right, let's look at Lamentations. It's on your script, on your handout there. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him and seek him. In Isaiah, but the Lord still waits for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for him to help them. Still in Isaiah chapter 40. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. What is the superlative in this verse? Ken said y'all would not know that word. He goes, what did you say on that Isaiah scripture about what word did you use? I said, the superlative. He goes, nobody's going to know that word. I said, they're smarter than you, Ken. <laughs> I didn't say that to him. And he's a brilliant man, by the way. What I mean is, if you and I, if I was writing this verse, I'd have put some drama in it. So I would have said, they will walk and not faint. They will run and not grow weary. They will fly high on wings like eagles. Do you hear it? The building up, the climb. Whoa, and now all of a sudden we're soaring because we're waiting on God. That's not how it's written. And, and there's purpose in all of God's word. So think about that for a second. The way it's written, the superlative is they will walk and not faint. And I was thinking, goodness gracious, Lord Jesus, that is how it is sometimes in a time of waiting. The hardest part is just putting one foot in front of the other, walking and not fainting. All right, so we'll just keep going. Did y'all know what superlative was and you just weren't going to answer me? Okay. All right. So now on this, you're going to now tell me what you hear, all right, on the answering the question, how do I wait on God? Psalm 62, I wait quietly before God, for my salvation comes from him. I wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. Lamentation, so it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. How do I wait? Quietly. Quietly. All right, next one. Micah. As for me, I look to the Lord for his help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. Isaiah, I will wait for the Lord to help us. Though he has turned away from the people of Israel, my only hope is in him. How do I wait? Confidently. 
Okay, now this next one, wait for it. Okay, wait for it. This next one, this next one. How do I wait on God? Psalm 27, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Psalm 37, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Habakkuk, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Hebrews, patient endurance is what you need now. So you will continue to do God's will, and then you will receive all that he has promised. How am I to wait? Patiently. Patiently. The so what now what on your handout? Am I quietly, confidently, and patiently waiting on God? If not, what can I do today to make the necessary adjustments? What do I do while I'm waiting? I went back in my journals um, to a time that God taught me about this. And he gave me an acronym that is like my own personal self-check of how am I doing while I'm waiting? What do I do? Am I doing it? Am I being it? And so I just shared this acronym with you today. Maybe it would help you or your friend because none of y'all have this problem of jumping in and scheming and helping. What do I do while I'm waiting? The W stands for word. Psalm 130 says, I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. In the New Testament, in Romans, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. They give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. So get into the word. There's more on your handout. The A. The A stands. So, so what's the W? Word. word. The A stands for act. But I couldn't just put act. The second I wrote it down, and God was very clear, act in obedience. Because that's the problem. A lot of us act, right? Especially while we're waiting. We're ready to act. We don't want to wait. We're ready to go. So the importance is the prepositional phrase that follows. Act in obedience. Don't just act. Act in obedience. Psalm 37. Don't be impatient for the Lord to act. Travel steadily along his path. It couldn't be more clear to me than that. All right. So the W is word. The A is act in obedience. And from um, this is from a book called Life Principles from the Old Testament. And, oh, I'm sorry I didn't put that scripture up. This is what the, um, this author says. Joseph had to have been confused about what God was allowing to happen in his life. He could have become bitter at his brothers and at God for allowing them to mistreat him. He could have given up and settled into self-pity. But Joseph did none of those things. Instead, he trusted God to be in control and did each next thing in such a way as to glorify God. That's what I want to do. When I'm in a time of waiting, trusting that God is working, God is with me, and God is trustworthy, I want to do each next thing for his glory. All right, the I. The I stands for intimate. Psalms 5-2 says, Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I will never pray to anyone but you. You know, in these times of waiting, we might have a tendency to call somebody else, and which... 
we need community. I'm not saying that, but you know what I'm talking about. God really wants to be intimate with you. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me, bless you, and heard my cry. What a beautiful picture. Intimate, marked by close acquaintance, association or familiarity, a close friend or a confidant. That's what I mean by intimate. Okay, so we've got the W is word. Don't look down, look up. The A is act in obedience. The I is and the T we're, I'm sorry, I told you I went to my journals. This was long before I did this other introduction and this other, but my goodness, we're back to trust. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. By the way, that should sound real familiar to you. The psalmist is quoting God's own description of himself in Exodus that we looked at the very first week together. All right, Psalm 119, you are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. This is the God I trust. Psalm 84 says, for the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. Corey Ten Boom puts it this way. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. That's a time of waiting. That's how it looks. So what now what on your handout? Am I reading, meditating, studying, and memorizing his word regularly? Am I being obedient to all he has revealed to me so far? Am I talking and listening that's prayer, right? It's talking and listening to God throughout the day. The commitment there, I will wait on God. And I want you to know, this is really simply just living in the truth instead of fantasy land. This is the truth. Remember the truth, the fact, I will wait on God. But waiting isn't always easy. As a matter of fact, in my own life, I will say, it's rarely easy for me to wait. Um, yet I want to wait on God. So it takes a commitment and a recommitment. And, and it takes friends, sisters, a husband who comes alongside of me and encourages me to wait. Sometimes um, reprimands me to wait. And friends, family, and then commit and then recommit again to I will wait on God. So on my, on my handout, when I fill them all, I make them out and then I fill them out. I just love school. <laughs> so this is what I do. I get a notebook every year. Kids like, oh my gosh, you are hopeless. I'm like, I know. I make tabs. It's just fun. So when I filled mine out, I did it in cursive like it was a commitment. All the, all the rest of my notes are just in, um, what's that called? Thank you, manuscript. I'm like, print, that's not right. In manuscript. This one, I put, I will wait on God. Now, for those of you people who are like so patient, you, you got that fruit of the Spirit just flowing out of you, and you're like going, I don't know what her problem is, and this was a total waste of time, but I got my grocery list done. Okay, good for you. I should probably, I really need to be your friend. You really need to be my friend to help me, because I do struggle in this area. 
Um, which is probably why that sentence stuck out to me. The rest of you just read through it and kept on going, and to me it was like, wah, wah, wah. You know, I mean, it was like, stop right there, read that again. Because I do want to wait on God. I do want to. I know I, I, know I will, but I want my will to want to. So Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. Father, thank you so much. For being a God, I can put my whole trust in. Thank you for being patient with me when I am so impatient. Thank you for not leaving me alone and still teaching me, even by having me have to write this lesson to teach them. I do want to wait on you, and I will wait on you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. 956.